I want to share with you that um, what we're going to study next year. This is our last regular lesson together. It seems like the year's gone by fast in some ways, doesn't it? There maybe were times in the middle we felt a little bogged down, but especially as we've been through this great application section of Ephesians, it seems like it's really gone fast. And so next week we're going to meet and celebrate, but I want to share with you what we're doing next year. We're doing a study called Redeemed. That's what we're calling it. We're going to look at the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and we're going to study it from the perspective of God's unfolding plan for redemption. So basically, we're going to look at the first five books, and we're going to look for Christ. We're going to look for the very beginning of God showing us he had a plan to redeem the brokenness of Genesis through the Messiah. And so it's going to be a really fun way to look at the Torah, the Pentateuch, it's called. Um, it really, this, this study was really on my heart last year when we were studying How Great Is Our God, and we were looking at his attributes, and we kept going back. We kept going back to Exodus. We kept going back to Moses. We kept going back to the sacrifices. And it, it really made it kind of clear to me that we need to know more about this part of Scripture so that we can understand not only God's character, but we can understand Christ. So I think this is going to be an amazing study, and registration opens today. So if you go to www.riverwest.org slash the river, you will find the registration form, and you can sign up now anytime. So, But anyway, last week, Paul began the conclusion of his letter, the conclusion. It's just hard to believe it's here already, but he began it with an exhortation that we were to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul knows, I think, that if we have any hope of living out our identity in Christ, if we have any hope of walking worthy of the call to which we've been called, if we have any hope of standing strong against the schemes of the devil, we are going to need God's mighty power. And as we looked at this year, that power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. When we talk about God's power, we're talking about the ultimate power of the universe that creates and that creates life and resurrection power. So today he's going to tell us how we avail ourselves of this power, and he's going to tell us that it is through prayer. We must pray. Prayer is the energy where, that we find when we want to swing that sword. As we looked at the armor of God, prayer is the energy to wield the sword. Prayer is the energy to put on the armor of God. Prayer is how we persevere in the trials of life. And the battles, as we've been discovering, are actually not fought with clever strategies or explosive weapons. The battles are fought on our knees in prayer. Prayer is so powerful. It is so powerful. A missionary, his name is John G. Patton. He lived from 1824 to 1907. Um, has an amazing story of the power of prayer that I want to share with you this evening. He was born in Scotland. He was a Protestant missionary. And he felt God calling him to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. This is little tiny islands that he was called to. He went there as a missionary with his wife. Now, this particular island that he went to, the people there, the natives there, were cannibals. And in fact, he records their story of being um, the most superstitious and actually cruel people that the world has ever known in this island. He tells that soon after he got there um, with his wife and they began missionary work in these rainforests, 
One night, their mission home was surrounded by hostile tribesmen who were carrying these torches. And they were um, determined that they were going to build, they were going to burn down his home. They were hostile against him even being in their land. And so um, he and his wife had no one to turn to. It wasn't like they had cell phones. It wasn't like you could call for help. It was just he and his wife in this mission house, surrounded by these tribesmen who were chanting and holding flames of fire and threatening to burn down his house. So he did the only thing that he knew to do. Both he and his wife went to their knees and they began to pray. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed throughout the entire night. And they were kind of constantly sort of surprised that they weren't going up in flames as they were anticipating the end of their lives right here and in, in this place. By the time the morning came, they got up from their knees and they looked outside and they saw that everyone was gone. Actually, their house hadn't burned down. They actually hadn't died. They were just astonished that these hostile tribesmen had left. They were actually able to continue doing their mission work for about the next year, and they started to find people coming to faith in Christ, and they were teaching the people how to make things out of the, the resources of the land. They were making hats, and they were making things that they could end up trading and providing a better living for themselves. About a year later, the chief of this tribe came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and he sat down, John sat down with them, and he said, he said I, I want to ask you, and this is what he said. He said, what prevented these tribesmen from burning down his house that night? So he said, um, he asked him, and the chief priest, the chief priest, the tree, chief of the tribe said, we were afraid of the men who protected you. Patton said, what men? There were no men. And he said, um, he said, we were alone in the house. It was just me and my wife. And the chief insisted, and he said, no, there were many men around the house, men with shining clothes and swords in their hands. They stood around the building and would not let us harm you. And then John said that he knew why he and his wife were spared. Their prayers had been answered that night. God had sent angels to protect the patents from attack. And no wonder then they were allowed to continue their ministry throughout the next years, the tribesmen surely were afraid of this divine protection that was around John and his wife. I read that story and I just think, wow, what kind of divine power are we forfeiting in our lives because we don't pray? What are we missing out on because we don't talk to the Lord about our fears and our temptations or we don't invite him into the details of every life or every day of our life, or we don't depend on his strength when we are weak and afraid? What do we leave on the table because we don't pray? I actually believe that one of the devil's greatest deceptions is to make us so tired and so overly scheduled and so preoccupied that we don't pray and we don't even see our need to pray. We just keep going and going and going and we kind of think, I got this. And we don't pray. We don't go before the Lord and beseech him every single day for his power to get through even a single day living in a broken world. Well, Paul knows that we need to pray. He knows that we need to pray to stand firm in this world. He knows that we need to pray to be bold in our faith. And he knows that we need to pray to receive the Holy Spirit's encouragement just to do life in a broken world. 
And so that's what we're going to look at today as we go through our lesson. We're going to look at verse 18 in chapter 6, and he's going to tell us to pray. We're going to look at verses 19 and 20, and Paul's going to tell us that we need to be bold. And then 21 through 24, he's going to tell us to be encouraged. And what we're going to learn tonight is that prayer is the power behind spiritual stamina, gospel boldness, and daily encouragement in the Lord. Prayer is the power behind all of that. So let's talk first about verse 18. Notice, if you remember from last week, verse 18 does not a standalone verse. Verse 18 is connected to everything we looked at last week when we were talking about spiritual warfare. So let's go back and remember that Paul is telling us to pray in response to the schemes of the devil. He says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So Paul has been reminding us that life is a battle, and prayer is the means by which we call upon God for help in this battle of life. This means that Paul is telling us that we must pray in the Spirit, that same Spirit that helps us wield the sword, which is the Word of God. And, and Scripture and prayer always go together. We pray the truth of Scripture when we pray to God. We pray in the reality of what Christ has done. Notice in just verse 18 how many times Paul uses the word all. He's trying to tell us something. Four times he says all. And so I want to break it down for us and see what we can apply from what he's teaching us to our own life of prayer. So the first thing he says is that we are to pray at all times. We know that in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we're told that we should pray without ceasing. So we're to be praying constantly. This is talking about living a life that is in constant conscious communion with God. Constant conscious communion with God. It's this life of always living with a sense of his presence, always being aware that he is near, always having eyes to see him, always being attuned to his spirit, um, and even always kind of talking to him about things, just the mundane things of life, just bringing him into the whole sphere of your life. That's constant conscious communion. That's just a way of living with God. But prayer is just, it's just conversation. So it's whether you're speaking out loud to him or you're just speaking to him in your mind, it's that constant conversation that you're having with him. But there also has to be regular times of prayer. So that's not enough, actually, to just have this sort of sense of constantly communing with him. We need to have regular times. We need to have times where we intentionally meet with God, where we're specifically going to talk to him about particular things. Um, It's something that we do regularly. We have to make a time for it. We have to make a date for it. We have to choose a place for it. It's it's stepping outside of the fray of our lives and and intentionally just meeting with him one-on-one. Bob and I, my husband, we have developed this time in our lives every morning at 5.30. And I've shared this with you before, but it has truly been the number one life-changing thing for me, my relationship with God, and my my relationship with my husband this year. It has just been so amazing. 
We get up at 5.30, we meet at the kitchen table, so we have a bit of an uncomfortable place that'll keep us awake. We, won't, we don't pray in bed together, that will put us right to sleep. And so we meet at the kitchen table, and he makes his tea, and I get some water, and we have our prayer time together. And it's been so amazing because we just pray in 24-hour segments. You know how sometimes it feels so overwhelming, there's so many things to pray about? It really helps if you just take a day, just a single day. And so we prayed just for a day. Do you know what we prayed for this morning? We prayed for you. We pray for you every Tuesday morning. We pray that you'll come. We'll pray that you'll be blessed. We pray that you'll grow in your faith. We just pray for, for on, on Tuesday mornings, you are the topic of our prayers. And it's so great just to think of it in those terms, just what is, what, Lord, we need your power and your equipping for this one day and to go over and say, Lord, what does this day hold and invite him into it? The second thing that Paul tells us to do is that we're to pray with all prayer and supplication. That means that we're to pray in the Spirit, that we're to exhibit faith when we pray. Prayer, as we know, takes on different forms. So prayer can be praise, prayer can be thanksgiving, prayer can be confession, prayer can be supplication, which is making requests. And what's really wonderful is when you bring all of those things together. I really like to do that because when I get up in the morning and I'm half asleep and it's dark... I need to start by just remembering who God is. That while I've been sleeping, he's been awake holding the universe together. And I love that last year's study taught me so many new thoughts about who he is that I can pray back to him. I can remember what I learned last year in our study. And so I just begin by recounting to him who he is, telling him I, I, how much I love him, affirming how much he loves me, how good he is, how powerful he is, how creative he is, how mighty he is, his perfect plan for salvation. Whatever, whatever he puts on my heart, I just pray to him words of praise and adoration. And then I go to a time of thanksgiving and I thank him for just what he's done in the 24 hours since I last prayed. The most amazing thing about this is that Monday's prayer requests become Tuesday's thanksgiving. When you pray in 24-hour segments, it's so easy to see how he's come in and answered your prayers. And the cool thing is, you're looking for them all day long because you can't wait to gather and thank him for the way he answered prayer. It's so faith-building. And then we bring our requests to him, and sometimes that begins with confession. Sometimes that starts by just confessing, Lord, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm really worried about this. I'm fearful about this. Or I messed up and I said something I shouldn't yesterday and I've had a bad attitude in my heart about this or whatever it would be, just confessing how I'm responding to life, which isn't really always in faith and trust. And then laying our requests at his feet, which include really just kind of recounting the day. Okay, Lord, what is my day going to hold? And, and here is, is how I need you to help me need you to help me in this moment and give me words in this moment and give me your heart in this moment and equip me to do this for you and whatever it would be just to lay that at his feet. And then doing that with my husband is really special because we will say things to the Lord in each other's presence that we probably would not even think to say to each other. And so it's like this window I get into his heart before God and he gets into mine and it's really been sweet for us. 35 years of marriage, it's taken us this long to get to this place. We're still growing in these things. So it's really, it's really an incredible and amazing faith builder to pray in this way. Now, if you're worried that, that you wouldn't know what to pray if you were to have this time set aside with the Lord, let me just encourage you that the Spirit will show you what to pray. 
In Romans 8, 26, it says that, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So sometimes it's just showing up and saying, I'm here, and then letting the Spirit intercede for your heart, things that you can't even verbalize, or just allowing him to bring thoughts to your mind. Because he's so faithful, he will show up when we show up. The third thing that Paul says is that we're to pray with all perseverance. Prayer truly is battle engagement, and so it matters that we stay alert and not fall asleep. Do you remember what happened to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, when he was agonizing over what was about to happen, and he told his disciples, stay here and pray for me, and they kept falling asleep? It matters that we stay awake and we pray. So that means that in order to do that, in order to persevere in prayer, there might be some things you'll have to do. Like, don't try to pray first thing in the morning before you get out of bed. You're going to probably fall back asleep. Don't try to pray last thing at night while you're in bed. I don't know about you, but I fall asleep. In fact, that's my trick now. If I can't fall asleep, I just start praying, and then I do fall asleep. It's how I put myself to sleep now. So don't do that. Get up. Get, get into an uncomfortable position. Get down on your knees if you need to. Sit in a hard chair at a table. Or you know what? Stand around. Stand and walk around with your eyes open. Do you know that you can pray with your eyes open? It's okay. The most important thing is that you're communing with God. You're talking to him. You're keeping yourself awake. You're staying alert, persevering. Because the devil is prowling around you like a, a lion, a roaring lion, seeking to devour you. And I will just tell you, that he knows that if he can devour your prayer life, he's got a grip on your relationship with God. God has invited you into a relationship of intimacy with him, and all it simply means is that you're talking to him, and you're listening to him, and you're engaging with him. And if he can steal that away from you, if he can put you to sleep, if he can rob you of that time, he has a great victory already won. It's been said that prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It's getting God's will done on earth. The fourth thing is that we are to pray for all believers. Life is a war for all of us as we're living in a broken world. And we, when we pray for each other, we stand in the gap for each other. We cheer each other on. We strengthen each other. We intercede for each other. And one of the greatest ways that we can express love for each other is to pray for each other. I hope that you've experienced that in your river groups this year because that's part of what we're wanting to do here is not to just bring you together for a discussion about scripture or a teaching time or a worship time, but actually is to give you time to pray for each other, to share prayer requests. And then it's so encouraging, maybe in your own life, you haven't seen an answer to prayer for a while, but you see it in your friend that you're praying for. And it's so encouraging. So we, we cheer each other on, we spur each other on as we gather and we share life and we pray together. We have another ministry that happens here on Wednesdays. It's called Wednesday Noon Prayer. Now, many of you probably work and couldn't come, but I want you to know about it if you ever are able to come. It's, we meet downstairs in room 112, and for a whole hour, we pray together. And it's an amazing opportunity to come together, and we actually pray for all of those cards that our people put into the fishbowl on Sundays and ask for prayer requests. I love that we do that because I feel good that when those requests are going in the fishbowls, I know at least our team is praying, and I know there are others, but it feels 
full of integrity to know that we're going to pray for those cards as people have requested. Um, we also pray for our church and we pray for our ministry. We pray for the river. We pray for you. We, we have prayed that this whole year that you would stay steadfast in the study and be ministered to by God and, and look at you. Here you are and we're at the end and you've made it. So God answers prayer. We pray for our, our, our pastoral team and we pray for individual requests in our group and we pray for the world. We pray for the community. We just cover so many things in prayer and we've seen God just be so gracious in how he's answered. It's a powerful time. But you know what the sweetest thing is? How much we have grown to love each other through this, these times of prayer. Because here's, here's something that is just a divine truth. You love the people that you pray for. I think that's why God tells us to pray for our enemies. He pours his love into our hearts for the people that we pray for. And it matters that we pray for each other. There's a sweet blessing in it. So you are welcome to join us anytime. But the truth is this, that prayer brings God's invisible power to bear on our visible lives. Prayer brings God's invisible power to bear on our visible lives. That's pretty amazing that you can be a recipient of God's invisible power in a tangible way in your life. I became desperate for God's invisible power the first year that I was asked to teach the Bible in Bible Study Fellowship. I had been a student in class, just like you were a student here, and um, I dealt with terrible stage fright, and I was asked to speak, and I was terrified of that, but I knew it was the Lord, and so um, I felt desperate for his power to do what he was asking me to do. But then on top of that, the study that year was called um, Israel and the Minor Prophets. So it was a study looking at the history of Israel and then teaching on the Minor Prophets, which still I don't even feel like I understand. Um, and I was desperate for God to show up. And so I just spent that entire summer and every day since just going to my knees every single morning and begging God, begging him to show up, begging him to teach me from his word, begging him to give me the courage to stand in front of women and have something to say. And I would just beg him to make me into the person that I needed to be to teach his word because I'm not, I, know, I wasn't then and I'm still not good enough to fake it. If he wasn't authentically doing something in my life, I would have nothing to say or to share. And so I just begged him to transform my life. And literally, that was 15 years ago, and that pattern has continued. Just how he made me so desperate for himself, he taught me my reliance on him, and that pattern has continued of going to my knees and spending this time with him and asking for his quipping for 15 years. And now, it's, you know, I still pray that way before I teach. It's not as hard as it used to be, and there's more joy in it, but there's other things that are way harder that I still need that desperate um, power of him to show up in my life. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you witnessed the invisible power of God in your life as a specific answer to prayer? Can you think of a time recently when you prayed and God revealed to you his invisible power in your life? Prayer isn't supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be intimidating. It's simply father and daughter, daughter and father. And when we pray, what we're doing is we're recognizing the invisible reality of our world. We're, we're acknowledging that there is an invisible reality to our world. And we're expressing confidence in an invisible God who cares for our lives. 
And Satan hates it when we pray because he knows that God actually answers our prayers. Our prayers play a direct and essential part in bringing God's invisible power to bear on our visible lives. Prayer is is powerful and it's purposeful. It's powerful in that it links us, mere mortal human beings, with the God of the universe who runs everything, who holds everything in the palm of his hand. We are linked to him through this communion of prayer. And it's purposeful because God intervenes in human affairs as we pray. It actually makes a difference. God responds to our prayers. What kind of relationship would we really have or or do we really have with God if we don't speak to him in prayer? I mean, think about this in your marriage or think about this in a close relationship. What kind of human relationship would you consider yourself to have if you never talked to the person? I think about, you know, if my husband came home from work and we just sat next to each other on the couch and we watched TV and we just hung out but we never talked to each other. I didn't know what was on his heart and he didn't know what was on mine and we never actually turned our faces to each other and and communioned together. And too often we live our life with God that way. We kind of go, oh, well, he's here. He's always here. He's always near. I can read about him in the Bible, but I never actually turn my face towards him and speak to him in a relationship. And that's the great privilege of prayer. It has a a name, prayer. I don't even like the word prayer, but I love what it is. This just personal, intimate communion with God. Would you like to enjoy more time with the Lord in prayer this summer or tomorrow or tonight? I'll just tell you, like, just make a date with him. Keep it super simple. Figure out a pattern that works for you. Figure out a pattern because sometimes when you meet with him and if you don't kind of have a flow for how you like to commune with him, then you'll get kind of stuck. Like, I don't know what to say. But if you go, oh, well, I know. I need to start by just praising him. And then, oh, I'm going to thank him. And then, oh, now I can bring my requests. Just having a flow that works for you is just a great way to keep you engaging with him. And also, it's important to pray just because the Bible tells us so. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. James 4, 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What do you think would have happened to John G. Patton and his wife if they hadn't prayed that night? What would have happened if they hadn't asked for divine protection, if they hadn't surrendered their lives to to the Lord in that moment, if they hadn't just decided that the last days of their lives would have been on their knees praying? I don't know what would have happened, but I know we wouldn't be reading probably about his story right now, feel encouragement for him. It matters that we pray. We have no idea how much divine power we leave on the table, we forfeit simply because we won't ask for it. Well, let's talk about why Paul is telling us to be bold. He was aware. He knew how much he needed strength for his ministry to continue. He knew his own desperate need for the prayers of the Ephesian believers. And he says in verse 19, he says, And pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, 
for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So not only did Paul need strength to stand firm in his own battle, so he's in chains, he's chained to a Roman guard day and night under house arrest, so not only did he need strength just to endure this this suffering that he was in, but he also needed strength because he was actively penetrating the devil's domain by sharing the good news of the gospel, the light of the gospel into people's lives who were in darkness, and the gospel was setting them free. He was actually making a difference in Satan's realm by setting people free. Remember, the Ephesians were worshiping false gods. They were into sacrifices. They were into temple prostitutes. They were into all kinds of superstition. They were in darkness. And he was bringing the hope of the gospel to them. And they were coming to faith in Christ. And so he needed strength and power to be able to keep sharing this good news. Now, what's interesting is that this was exactly the mission that God had given to Paul when he was first converted. We studied this passage back at the very beginning of our study when Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus. But I'd never seen before how clearly Jesus had spelled out Paul's mission to do exactly what he's been doing. So let's look at it. It's in Acts 26, starting with verse 12. Paul is telling the story of how he met Jesus and was converted. He says in verse 12, in this, con- in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to do in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He was right where God had planted him, in this culture of Gentiles, opening their eyes to the reality of Christ and turning them from darkness to light. This was his commission. So no wonder he needed prayer. Remember what he had told us just last week about spiritual warfare? He understood that personally. No wonder he needed prayer to continue this mission. He was in the midst of this spiritual battle as he was under chains and under house arrest. But do you notice how he didn't ask, pray that I'll be released. Pray that I'll be more comfortable. Pray that the food will improve. Pray that they'll get me out of here. He didn't ask for any of those things. He was asking specifically that rather than his body being unchained, that his mouth would be unchained. That he would be able to speak boldly the truth of the gospel. He needed that boldness. He needed it for the soldiers that he was sharing Christ with that were chained to him. He needed it for all the visitors that were coming to see him, that he could speak boldly to them because they would go out and speak boldly to others. But he also needed it as he was writing these letters, as he was dictating these letters, because these letters have impacted people's lives for thousands of years. It mattered that he would speak boldly even as he wrote. And thankfully, God did answer his prayers. For two more years, he was able to proclaim the gospel while he was imprisoned in Rome. 
And uh, even then sharing the good news that that news went up the ranks and they say that even high-ranking officials in the Roman government became Christ followers because of where God had planted Paul right there under house arrest in Rome. The Lord gave him clarity and gave him courage to proclaim the gospel to literally millions of people over thousands of years. The truth is that when we pray, we receive opportunity and courage to share the gospel with others. We get both. It doesn't help to have courage if we don't have opportunity. And if we have opportunity but no courage, then we're pretty ineffective. We need both. And we live in a time and we live in a part of the world where the gospel is really honestly regarded as something that only foolish, judgmental people believe in, right? You know that um, if you are in a gathering of people, whether it might be at your work or at a party, and you start mentioning Jesus, people are like, okay, <laughs> she's one of those. It's not a popular topic to bring up. Um, but I want you to know that God is powerful, and he is at work today to bring many sons and daughters to faith in Christ. He is building his church. It's where we live in, in the arc of, of history from Genesis to Revelation. We are in the season where he is building his church and his kingdom is coming through his church, through believers who have his spirit. He is faithful to do just exactly what he said. And so he is bringing many, many people throughout the world to faith in Christ. It is happening, and our commission is just simply to go and make disciples right where we're planted. There are people in our lives that are opening up to us, that are sharing with us what's going on in their lives, and they're desperate for hope. They're desperate for encouragement. You know, we know as believers how hard it is to live in the midst of a broken world with Christ. I bet if we took time to share stories, everyone in this room would have a story of pain and suffering and heartbreak and struggle and disappointment. And we're trying to live our lives with Christ and the truth of his world, word. And we know that we're rubbing shoulders all day long with people who are going through all of that. And they don't have hope. They don't have light. They don't have any sense of the future or any sense of the presence of God in their lives. So we have been given a treasure this year in the book of Ephesians. We have something to share with other people that gives them hope, that gives them truth. And so I want to ask you, who will you tell? Think about your relationships at work, at school, um, in your neighborhoods, in your ministries, in the places where you've been planted. Where has God strategically placed you? Who in that realm is opening up to you already? Who, where is God providing opportunity by building a relationship with someone else? Will you pray and ask God for not only courage but clarity to share the truth about who he is? We invite someone maybe to go to church with you. And you know what's better than inviting them? Say, I'll come pick you up. Come with me, literally. Do you know how scary it is to walk into a church for the first time and you don't know what kind of weird people are in there and what they're going to be doing? Just bring somebody or bring somebody with you to the river next year. Just put them in your car and say, let's go together. Let's make it fun. Or maybe do the follow study. The follow study this summer is, um, is through the Gospel of John. It's introduction to Jesus. Say, hey, let's go through this together. Let me just kind of share with you um, through the scripture who Jesus is. There's are simple ways to just take advantage of the opportunities that God has already put right there in front of you. I stepped into the grocery line, checkout line one day about a year ago, and the, the clerk was down. Her 
brow was very furrowed, and she just seemed really, really down. And I said to her, I said, hey, you know, are you doing okay? Is everything okay? And she just started to mumble, and she said, I just hate this season. And I said, oh, is it because it's so busy in here during the Christmas season, or, or is it just that you don't like celebrating the birth of Christ? That's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> and she's like, oh, no, I'm okay with God. She just said, I just have some really hard things going on in my life. And she started to tell me a few of the details. And, um, and it was really hard things that were going on in her life. And, of course, there's people in the line behind me, and it's busy. And so at the end of that conversation, I said, you know, I said, I'm a pastor, and I would just love, if you want to come and pray with me sometime, I would love to pray with you. I would love to kind of encourage you. And, and she said, well, could I have your contact information? And I gave it to her. And she just said, man, she said, this was a divine moment. Like that fact that you would come to my line and just be here on this day that I'm having such a hard time. So fast forward, the months go by, and every time I'd get in her line, she'd be like, oh, yeah, I mean to call you. Oh, yeah, I meant to email you. She'd ask me for my contact information three or four more times after that. I can't remember where I put it, but every time I'd be in her line, she'd tell me just a little bit more about her story, take me kind of to the next chapter. Eventually, she started following me around the store and showing me pictures of her family, you know, and she'd say, I want you to see, and we just began to develop this relationship. She never came to see me, and she never emailed me, but our relationship continued to grow. And then a year goes by, Christmas, a few months ago, and we had Christmas. We have our big women's night of worship service here, and I looked across the room, and there she was. God had put another person in the store, actually an employee of the store, who had started coming to River West. She's actually not here tonight, but she's a member of this class. She started coming to River West with her family, and she started sharing the hope of Christ with this woman and ended up bringing her to Women's Night of Worship, first time that she stepped into this church. And then a few months later, she showed up, and Easter Sunday, she was here with her family members, the ones who were causing her such heartbreak earlier in the year. And now she's just beaming with joy. Her, her life is still troubled, and her story is still being written, but she has hope. And God used the opportunity that I had with her to open the door a little bit. But then God had other people right there to open the door a little bit more. And now it's just amazing to see a smile on her face and to see true joy coming through her life. It's just incredible how the Lord works. He is after. He's the great hound of heaven. And it's amazing. So who are the people that you're rubbing shoulders with? Who are they? Will you pray and just ask for God to give you eyes to see them and be ready to encourage them with the message of hope from the gospel? Be bold. Well, now we're going to look at how Paul is, tells us how we can be encouraged. He closes his letter. Can you believe it's the end of this letter? He closes it with this final greeting. And it's here that we really see that Paul isn't just a great theologian. He's also just a real lover of people. He says, in verse 21, so that you, may all, you, that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus was from Asia, and he was a man who had been um, really with Paul in many, for many, many years of ministry. 
It's assumed that he was the one who actually scribed the letters. Paul was dictating, and he was scribing them. And then he's the one who carried them many, many miles to Ephesus. We know he also carried it to Colossae as well. So he had a specific task, which was to go encourage their hearts by bringing this letter and by giving them an update how Paul was doing in prison. And I thought about what joy there is in these relationships that are formed when we do ministry together when we are partnering together, when we're studying God's word together, when we're serving together, when we're worshiping together, it's one of the great joys in life are these friendships that, are, that we form. Paul then ends his letter, interestingly, with two words that he started his letter with. Way back in October when we started our study and we looked at Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2, this is what Paul said. He said, "...to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus..." He said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he concludes the letter by also talking about grace and peace. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So he's talking about grace and peace, but he adds a new word, love, because I think he knows now that surely their love for Christ has grown as they've pondered this reading of this letter, as they've gotten to know Christ in a deeper way. They now have a love for Christ, a love that's incorruptible. And hasn't it been the same for us as we have pondered this letter for all these months, as we've thought about the things that Paul has written? I know for me, I love the Lord more, and I hope that you feel that way too, that you have a greater sense of his love for you, and you feel a reciprocal love for him. And the truth is that God strengthens and encourages our hearts through Christian community. He strengthens and encourages our hearts through Christian community. We actually really need each other to stand firm in the Lord through the trials of life. I believe with all my heart, that the church is God's gift to us. Um, Local congregations, but the church universal, it's God's gift. We live in a very lonely and isolated world. Very lonely. And God's church is the place where we come together. It's where we do real FaceTime, you know, where we actually look at each other and we hug each other and we worship together and we learn together and we share prayer requests together and we get to know what's going on in each other's lives. Where else do people do this these days? There's the gym. Where else? Where else? Even going to school now, most of it's online. Where else do people come? Where else do women come together and gather in real human relationship? And I believe that God knew in 2018 that this was the direction the world was going, and his church is a gift. It's a gift to a place to come together and find hope and encouragement and support and prayer and relationship, to serve with other women, to be served by other women. It's it's an amazing gift to us. And so it's meant to be a place where we're strengthened in our faith and encouraged to continue on, continuing on through the difficulties of life. Well, next week, we're going to actually celebrate. We're going to celebrate this whole year together. We're going to share. We're going to eat a meal. We're going to worship. Um, We're going to have just a great time of festivities. Hopefully, your leaders have told you about some food item that you can bring, and we're going to bring all our food items together. 
And there's two questions on your lesson which are great question prompts. You can talk about them tonight, but they're the questions that I'd like for you to think about um, for next week. Will you think about how you have been impacted by the words of Ephesians this year? So things that you've read, things that you've learned, how has that impacted your life? And how will your life be different because you have spent this time studying these words? I mean, we've just invested seven and a half months of studying one letter in the Bible. I think that there has been some real um, breakthroughs in our understanding of who the Lord is, maybe how we're relating with him. And so let's share those things together. Let's encourage each other. Let's come together in community, just as Paul has said, and let's speak words of encouragement to each other. It will encourage me to know how God has impacted your life, and we'll encourage each other. It will encourage your leader. Let's just celebrate these things together. So God is so good. And let me pray for us, and then we're going to worship him before we go to our groups. Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for how faithful that you have been to show up in our lives every time we've opened your word. You've been faithful to teach us. You've been faithful to reveal yourself to us. You've been faithful to keep us steadfast through this entire study I just reflect, Lord, on how much you have told us about who we are in you, what our identity is, chosen and redeemed and forgiven and filled with your spirit, your inheritance, the things that you revealed to us by your word. Lord, you've told us over and over again who we are, and then you've challenged us to walk in light of that. And then you've told us practical ways to do that, how we should relate to our spouses and our children and our workplaces how we are to be filled with your spirit in every relationship. And Lord, we want to be filled with your spirit. We want to live out the reality of what we've learned. That's really the desire of our hearts. We pray that you would show us all the more how to do that. And Lord, we need to be more faithful in our prayer life. You are always waiting to commune with our hearts. And Lord, help us to turn to you over and over and over again. And help us to be bold, to share the good news, even with people who are in the grocery store, wherever it is, Lord. Give us eyes to see the people that need a message of hope. And I pray, Lord, that we would find continuous encouragement in our relationships that we've formed this year. We just thank you for how good you are, for how faithful you've been. And we just want to say that we really love you and we're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.